0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall.
1: My name is Michael Gallagher of Nashville Hockey Now, and you can follow me on Twitter at mg sports underscore.
0: Got some stuff to discuss today, some free agent targets. Are there any of them out there that Nashville <laughs> Predators fans should be interested in, that, that Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett should be interested in? Those of you who cannot see us, because this is an audio <laughs> medium, Michael Gallagher, shaking his head passionately right out of the gate. So we'll, there's a tease for what that conversation is going to sound like. Uh, not not good luck for Pierre-Luc Dubois, let's say. Um, so so we'll, we'll get into that. But really, the focus is on the Preds order of operations here, which is the restricted free agents that they need to get handled. Uh, There's some buyout possibilities. There's all kinds of arbitration that's going to happen over the course of the next month. So there's two main pieces of this puzzle that the Preds need to get signed probably pretty quickly, and I'm assuming are the top order of business if you're Barry Trotz and the Predators. Uh, July 5th, of course, is the deadline, 4 p.m. Central time to file for arbitration. There's all kinds of rules. You can only do it One time for any given player. You can only do it for two different players at any given year. There's all kinds of restrictions, but we'll get into that. Uh, There are, I believe, by my count, eight restricted free agents that the Predators have to make decisions on. So we'll get into that. Uh, And then, of course, Peter LaViolette is back. That'll be a quick conversation. And not in Nashville, of course. Uh, that, that would be interesting. Uh, although he will be back in Nashville at some point. And then um, Las Vegas is your Stanley Cup champion. There you go. Uh, we'll get into what that means, what we learned. And did the right person win the con Smythe? All of that up today on the show, which is the gold standard. And it is, in fact, Michael Gallagher, brought to you by...
1: The wonderful people at Jaspers. A whole sentence? I only went with one adjective this time. I, I feel like I, I, I gave a lot last week in my little list. I want to save some in the element of surprise for future broadcasts.
0: You did give them a whole sentence this time, and I, I think that's a major step in the right direction. That is pro. That's progress. That is that is develop. I, I, we're, we're developing you is what we're doing here. Uh, yeah. You, you've you've moved out of Milwaukee. You're now down to Nashville in terms of your advertisements. Uh, go to Jasper's, of course. Constant constant evolution, the next evolution of the sports bar, free parking, great food, great place to watch the Preds, proud partners of your Nashville Predators. And of course, you can order the gold standard cocktail, which is a whiskey drink on the menu at Jasper's. It's hot right now. It is a perfect time to get that drink. That drink is refreshing. It's light. uh, It's cold. It's very cold. And uh, it's a perfect time of year to get that cocktail. So go try it. Go try the gold standard cocktail cocktail. Named after this year podcast, which is basically my crowning achievement in life, Michael, is that we have a we have a we, have, a an al- we have an alcoholic beverage named after our podcast. <clears throat> For those of you, those of you new listeners, of course, we do welcome you to the show. We do this each and every week, even during the offseason. So we do appreciate you guys joining us. We know we've got some new ones that are coming to us. And uh, of course, make sure you check out It's All Your Fault uh, with Jeremy K. Gover over there at the scene in the post. Uh, we're partnered up with them. We love them. Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, is, of course, the website where Michael does a lot of work. We're going to reference a lot of that stuff today on the show. But rate, review, subscribe, and share the show. Tell somebody about it. We really, really appreciate you guys. Okay. Uh, Las Vegas scored 150 goals in Game 5 against the Florida Panthers to win the Stanley Cup Championship in just their sixth year of existence, setting a new record in the NHL for fastest expansion franchise to ever win a Stanley Cup Championship. The Flyers currently had the previous record at seven years. Um, and a lot of these numbers are gonna come from Nashville hockey now. So just keep up with me here because I'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff at you, Michael. And then I want to know what should, if anything, predators fans can learn from the Las Vegas Knights. Mm-hmm. Um uh, all right. Uh let's see here. Mark Stone, hat trick in the game, clinching game five victory, the first Stanley Cup clinching hat trick since 1922. Uh, that is an extraordinarily long time before some, since someone did what Mark Stone did in game number 5 uh Jonathan Marsha sh- 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 won the Con Smythe trophy we'll get into if he deserved it or not over Matthew Kachuk 25 points 22 uh in 22 games he is the first undrafted player to win the Con Smythe trophy since that that guy named Gretzky did it in 1988 never heard uh, of him never heard of him yeah. there there are six he is also one of six original Golden Knights on the team. So six guys that that started with the franchise six years ago who have now won a Stanley Cup championship. Uh, Bruce Cassidy was hired one year ago, I think almost to the date on, in terms of when they won the cup. So a first year head coach, once again, getting the job done. Um, again, plus 31 goal differential is ninth best all time. That's a lot of stuff I just threw at folks, but I wanted to do that so that you can kind of tell people What should fans have learned from this Vegas run to a cup championship, if anything at all?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the main takeaway, at least on on my end is that it comes down to making smart moves. And I think this is relating it to the predators. This is what fans have been frustrated the most with David Poyle is the moves that he's making, that he's made and all the transactions the team has had. They haven't, been the best strategically for this team and setting them up for success and you look at a lot of the guys that are on this roster i think nick had in his story uh only six players from that inaugural roster are still were in the the lineup last night and we're were playing and you look at some of the guys and some of the players that, that they went out and they acquired aiden hill they got him in a trade and he wasn't even i believe he started the first round he wasn't even like even in in the conversation of being the starting goalie then you look at Jack Eichel, Ivan Yv- Barbashev, uh, Nick Haig, some of these guys they traded for. Uh, I believe Haig was an original draft pick of the Golden Knights. I believe he was a second rounder in 2017. Um, Brett Howden's another one. You go out and you acquire these guys and then you sign someone, a big name free agent like Alex Petrangelo. I, I think it just goes to show it's all about the strategic moves that are made and they they don't. I think David Poyle was getting kind of caught up in in making big moves just to like get some attention, maybe bring just like a change of pace, change of scenery kind of move. I think what, what Vegas has done, excuse me, and what really kind of shined through is the roster is a cohesive unit. It flowed together. And we talked about this with the Seattle Kraken. We were talking about how much fun they were to watch. They didn't have lines one, two, three, and four. It was like one A, one B, one C, one D because there was just so much interchangeability and everything flowed together. And I think that. Is what I saw out of Vegas and look good on Florida for getting there, but it was very clear they were overmatched in this cup final. And then when Matthew Kachuk didn't play in game five, it was very clear they weren't going to win. But Vegas, Vegas is just a powerhouse, man. And you look at the way that they were constructed. It was, it was the perfect mix of trades, free agent signings and draft picks. And I think that's what every franchise wants to emulate. And I know there were people on Twitter that were saying, well, of course they, they won it in their sixth season because the the odds were stacked against everybody else. And they had the easiest uh, pat excuse me, pat to a Stanley cup of all the expansion teams. And they were, they were basically given a cup contender right out of the gate. And, and I understand that, but what, what are they supposed to do? Be like, no, we can't take that. Sorry. You guys helped us out too much. We're going to deny the Stanley cup trophy. Like you can only play with the players you have. And, and that's what Vegas did. And I think it was, I think that's what every team in the NHL should be looking to emulate. And I think that it's a good example for Barry Trotz and Andrew Burnett to look at Vegas and try to replicate what they're doing with the moves. And, and they have a, pr- a prime opportunity with all the draft picks, with free agency coming up. They're they're loaded with a lot of capital to go out and make some of those trades. And I think, that, I think that's the biggest thing I noticed with the Predators and, I guess, comparing them with Vegas. The Predators have made quite a few trades over the last five or six years, but they haven't really worked out. Most of the trades that Vegas made have worked out in their favor.
0: Uh, they scored 26 goals in five games in the Stanley Cup final uh Finals if you add the the, the clinching game against Dallas a six nothing shutout that is 32 goals in their last six games that is more than five per game if you do the math certainly a seven spot and a nine spot will skew those numbers um but I think what, the other thing that I took away that I find interesting and I know Boston stole all the headlines throughout the course of the regular season because of how great they were in the regular season was that they sort of Vegas. I'm always impressed by teams that come into the season as a favorite in particular in their division, finish as the division champion, finish as the one seed in the West, and then go on and finish the deal and win the championship. And I know Boston fans, you know, don't want to hear that, but like Vegas was the overwhelming favorite to sort of, contend with Colorado. Like they was Colorado and Vegas were the two overwhelming favorites to win the West and for them to sort of meet those expectations and then come out on the other end as the champion. I always find it very impressive when teams that are picked to do great things, go on and execute because I think there's a a sort of a different type of pressure there. Right. When, when when it comes to that, Um, I think predators fans, it's sort of like winning the president's trophy the year after the cup, they sort of came into that year with a lot of expectations after getting to the final and then they not only exceeded expectations by winning the president's trophy in the division, but then you know didn't finish the job in the playoffs. So game seven against Winnipeg at home couldn't win that game. So I think when there's pre- there's different types of pressure. Like Florida didn't have any pressure coming into this this series, in, in my opinion. And then certainly when you lose Kachuk to the broken sternum, by the way, which is nuts. Long recovery period, potentially four to six months. That he played
1: um, within game four with, by the way.
0: Uh, oh, did he do anything in game? F- Game four, by the way, I guess it was Game three that he he scored the game tire with like a minute to go, and then they won well he the broke overtime. it. The
1: Reports say he broke his sternum in Game four, and he still played. That's nuts. But it
0: was Game three that he scored the game tire to go into overtime, and then they won the yeah. game. Right. So I think that's. So I, I'm just trying to get them all straight here. But Kachuk, we can get to this too because Marshall Shaw won the won the consmite. again. He had uh, uh, 25 points, 13 goals, led all playoff scores with 13 goals. He averaged 17 minutes a game, led all all players with 80. Shots on goal plus 17 led all players as well. That's insane. Three game winning goals. Couldn't you argue, though, that Matthew Kachuk was the most valuable player? Like for the for the Panthers to do what they did to go Good. through the round, they and I again I know the losing team doesn't win the consummate very often, but it does, it has happened. And Kachuk had 24 points, 11 goals, led the NHL postseason with four game winners, uh, 55 hits. He averaged 21 38 ice time. He averaged four more minutes per game than Marsha Shaw did, and four power play goals. He led the NHL with 74 penalty minutes in in the, in the playoffs. I just don't think. I think Vegas could still have won the cup without their without Marsha Shaw. I think that's possible. It was he extraordinary this postseason. Clearly, he was. Kachuk was plus 12, by the way, in plus minus. If you care about that stuff. I think you could argue that Florida on that team without Matthew Kachuk is nowhere near the Stanley Cup final. I think Vegas probably still gets there if you take Marsha Shaw off the team. Is, is that crazy to say?
1: Oh, no, not at all. I, I do think that... And that's that's the the slippery slope with the Conn Smythe is, in theory, it's supposed to go to the best overall player in the playoffs. And a lot of people, including myself, believe that it is Matthew Kachuk that should have won the award. However, it's hard to sit there. I mean, they lost four to one. They weren't really in, you know, most of these games. They got blown out nine to three in, in the clinching game. Like, it's hard to sit there and and hand it to a player on the Panthers, considering how how badly they lost the series. But if there was a case be made, Matthew Kachuk did. I mean, 11 goals, 24 points in 20 games. Uh, like you said, 21 and a half minutes of ice time. Four power play goals, nine power play points. I think he had four game winners. He led the led the entire postseason with that shooting percentage of 18%. Like he was clicking on all cylinders. I think he scored like what 24, 25 different overtime game winners. Like the, the guy was all over the place. He was clutch when they needed him to, uh, when they needed him to be. And you, you could you argue if it wasn't for him, they probably wouldn't have even gotten into the into the cup final. And we talked about last year when when the Panthers made this trade for, for Kachuk. They gave up a, they gave up a lot to get him. And we almost argued that, that Calgary kind of won that trade just because it looked lopsided. But I mean it's it's the PK Subban thing. You you make a trade for a superstar and then he leads you to a cup final in year one or year two. It, you can't really sit there and argue that it was a losing trade. But yeah, I, I think Kachuk had a very legitimate case for the Consmyth. But like you said, I mean it's it's hard to argue against giving it to a player in the winning team. And you could you could argue March Show was the best player on, on Vegas. Jack Eichel, as much as I don't like the guy. I mean, 26 points in 22 games, like he was very clutch for, for Vegas as well. Yes, he I was. Mean, they they had a lot of good players on that team. I, Mark Stone, I mean, a hat is trick it, in the cup-winning game. Like, I mean, there there were so many players that could he could have given it to. I don't have a problem with March or so. However, I, I feel bad for Kachuk because I, I do believe he was the best player, What the best singular player in the postseason.
0: They, they got blown out because he wasn't on the ice. Exactly, they lost nine to three because Matthew Kachuk wasn't there, which proves the point that he was. There's no qu- if it is most valuable player in the postseason. It is not close. It's Matthew Kachuk. It, that it, he is by far the most valuable player in this year's playoffs. And, and he's I think it's
1: just about about goals and points too. Like he's a very gritty two way player. Yes. Like he's very physical. I doubt if he's on the ice that Vegas gets nine goals. They might have got five or six, but I don't think it's as big of a blowout as it was.
0: Uh, yes, I know. Fans are screaming. He was on the ice for the seven goal debacle in game two as well. I get it. Uh, I just don't think that they're like, again, this is an, uh, this is one of, I think, three eight seats to ever make the Stanley Cup final, of course, one of them also being your Nashville Predators. Uh, so they don't do it without him. They're not there without him. They don't go on this extraordinary run and beat the teams that they did The way that they did, like, what was it? Boston, Toronto, Carolina. Like these are three of the best teams on the planet and they beat all of them because he was carrying the team. Now the goaltender was pretty good too. Let's, 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 let's point that out as well. Uh, But to me, if you are saying who was the most valuable player to their team in the Stanley cup playoffs this year, it's Matthew Kachuk. And, and again, most importantly, he's always been a star. But I think it's a it's a different type of star power now because of the run he's on and the distance that this Florida team went. The fact that he is an American born player carrying a team to the play to the Stanley Cup championship round, whereas wasn't doing that in Calgary and the Calgary sort of out of sight, out of mind for most American fans, hockey fans. I think it's a big deal that an American star is also in this conversation as well. So just just as an American here. Uh, America, go America, you know, go America.
1: Uh, and to your point, if you take Marchessault out of the lineup, I still think Vegas probably wins a cup. I, I could argue the same thing about Jack Eichel. I, maybe not Mark Stone because he is very key to how that team functions. But you you take Matthew Kachuk out of the out of the Panthers lineup, they absolutely are not getting to that Cup final.
0: Um, all right, so we'll get into some free agents here for the Predators RFA's, and then of course restricted free agents, and then of course is is there any name out there that you think they should go target? Uh, the cap space that they do have, of course, heading into this off season, they got the big draft coming up. Before we do all that, however, real quickly, go to Jasper's. By the way, um, don't go, don't go to Jasper's. Quickly, take your time getting there. Take your time inside Jasper's. M- un- unlike Peter Laviolette, linger, linger around <laughs> Jasper's and spend some time there because it's a great place to be. Because we know Peter Laviolette doesn't like to pl- be in places very long. Um, so this guy makes the playoffs all the time. Uh, he's made the playoffs. <laughs> he's made the playoffs thirteen times. He's been in the Stanley Cup final three times with three different teams, uh, but he's also been fired everywhere he's been. Uh, And it's just sort of like it's it's almost like clockwork. He was he was fired by Mike Milbury in 2003. He was fired in 2008 in
1: December. How bad do you have to be at your job to have Mike Milbury fire you?
0: (laughs) He was fired in 2013 uh by uh by the Flyers. He, of course, was fired by the Preds in January of 2020. So twice a bunch of times mid season. Uh, I think I think, he, I think he was fired by the Flyers after three games.
1: Yeah, uh, they went 0 3 and they fired him.
0: Yeah. At, fired by the Washington <laughs> Capitals. <laughs> and now he's the head coach of the New York Rangers. So what's fascinating to me about Lavi, like uh, we know his personality, we know he's abrasive, tough to deal with, aloof, distant. Holier than thou, etc. cetera. I can keep going if you want. <laughs> um, but like, clearly, the dude is a good coach. Like, the guy, they went to Stanley Cup in year two at Carolina. They went to the playoffs in his first and second years as a head coach ever in the NHL for the Islanders. They went to the playoffs three straight years in his first three years in Philadelphia, getting to the cup final in his first season. They went to the playoffs the first five years for the Preds, obviously. By year three, they were in the cup final. They went to the playoffs the first two seasons in Washington. Mm. Like, it's not like the dude cannot coach, but like, it's not just the Nashville press and the Nashville media that gets tired of the act. I don't know what, why can't he? My question would be more like, do you think you need to evolve? Because clearly you're very good at this. You're good enough to keep getting hired, you're good enough to make the playoffs all the time. But you, he just clearly has not learned to evolve his game, I guess. I, I don't know what. Like clearly it just, and I I had somebody inside the organization and I just, this is, you know, this person doesn't work there anymore, but they were inside the organization when he was hired. And it's like, I can predict to you what's going to happen. They are going to get good quickly. They're going to play hard. They're going to accomplish a lot. And then people are going to get tired of the act and he's going to get run out of town. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. That is the MO. Why not learn and evolve? I, I don't know. I don't really care what he does in New York, but like, that was my favorite team growing up was the Rangers. It's my dad's favorite team. So now I have to, now my dad's like, what do you think of this hire? And I'm like, well, you're probably going to be really good in years one through three. And then everyone's going to yeah. hate him in year
1: four and five. Yeah. That's, that's kind of pretty much exactly. I've never seen, I mean, if you want to give him credit, give him credit for being outrageously consistent because yeah. usually year yeah. five, year four and five is where it goes downhill. And he's usually fired in year five or six. I think Nashville was the longest he had been with with a team as a head coach. Like you said, the dude clearly knows what he's doing. He knows how to coach. He knows how to win. If you want to get to a Stanley Cup final within a three-year window, Peter Laviolette is probably the guy to hire. And there was a lot made about his demeanor, how he treated people, how he talked to people, his holier-than-thou persona, and I get it. If there are two things, I guess you know, congratulations to Peter Laviolette for beating out John Hines, the guy that took your job in 2020. Uh, beating him out for the Rangers head coaching job. <laughs> a little bit of a poetic justice there, I guess. But that's, if that's I could awesome. offer Peter Lavulette two, and, and I've never been a head coach or anything like that, but if I could offer him two pieces of advice to help him succeed going forward in his coaching career one, evolve as a coach and as a human being. And two, stop bringing Kevin McCarthy with you every damn place <laughs> you go to coach because <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is a terrible assistant coach and he is always linked to Peter Lavulette. And we have seen it time and time again where Everything is good and great, and then when the special teams aren't working, usually because Kevin McCarthy is in charge of one of them, it just, it's bad. Stop, change, and I guess that goes that goes hand-in-hand hand with evolve as a coach. Maybe bring in some, some different support staff. But, yes, Peter Lovulet, like you said, clearly he knows what he's doing. He's very clearly good at this. Yeah. He, he knows the X's and O's probably better than anyone else, but he does need to evolve, and he, he needs to be able to – we we heard Barry Trot say one of the, the things about Andrew Burnett – that he loved and why he hired is because he knows the players will play for him because Andrew Burnett can relate to the players. That's something that John Hines did not do. And that's something that Peter Laviolette has had a hard time doing. Yes. He's going to get a lot out of the teams in years one, two, and three. But after that, the message wears thin players start tuning him out. And then there's this, this divide between the coaching staff and the roster. And usually it ends up with Peter Laviolette getting fired. So I, I, I hope wonder, it works out for him in New York, but history shows us that yeah. he's probably not going to last very long there.
0: I, I personally could not care less what happens to Peter Laviolette. the guy's made a fortune and uh, has won a Stanley Cup like he's you know I, I'll say this I, I don't think he needs to evolve and change his X's and O's like again clearly very good at this uh, yeah. but but how you deal with people that includes inside your building and out. The Kyle
1: Terrace situation is case in point, right there, of how he handled that.
0: It just doesn't work. Like clearly, it it, it ends. It it burns hot. It burns quick, and then it burns out, and that's it. And so, <clears throat> I would just like uh, it's about how you tr- uh, not. It's not. It's not that he's like a terrible human being who treated people poorly. Like that's not what I mean. But like that there is this this sort of abrasive, aloof, holier than thou approach to it all. That I am the the head coach. I don't think it really worked in Nashville because Nashville is not. We don't worship at the altar of hockey the way like Toronto and Pittsburgh and some of these other places do, Chicago or whatever. But but I think I, I, th- there's clearly a lack of perspective and understanding about how how it's landing on people around you, because the players tune it out eventually. And so I like I don't. But, but what's fascinating, and I don't know, this is like a genuine conversation here. I I think what's fascinating is what is it about what makes him so good so quickly might be the reason that he can't change. In year four and five, like that, might be why people play so hard for him. Is because in the beginning, because the message is so good at that time. But at but that's where within that moment, you then have to evolve into year four or five, so that your message and your strategy and your personality change a little bit because it worked at the beginning. Clearly, it's just not sustainable. So I'm I'm always fascinated by by leadership and motivation and communication culture, all that stuff. I'm fascinated by what, what works in sports and it clearly works very quickly and then doesn't really quickly. <laughs> so so yeah. it, we'll just watch it again. We'll watch it. I guarantee you we can watch the same thing happen, uh, it, for the Rangers. I told my dad, he was like, well, what are we, what's going on? We, he's pretty good. Right. I'm like, yeah, y'all are going to be pretty good in the first two, two or three years. You got a really talented team. You're probably going to win a lot of games, probably get to a cup final, maybe even win one. And then by year five or six, it'll be over, and uh, the, the the honeymoon will will have ended, and that'll be it.
1: So, and that's that's kind of what this hiring signals to me. I feel like if they if the Rangers would have went with John Hines or would have went with some anyone else that that would have told me that that's more of like a long term kind of buildup to getting to be a cup contender. Hiring Peter Laviolette tells me that the Rangers believe they have a cup window that is probably within the next three years. I mean, you're looking at Philip Scheidel, Alexis Lofrenier, Capo Caco, Ke'Andre Miller, um, Igor Shisterkin. You have a lot of talent there that yeah. are in their in their probably mid-20s, and you want to maximize that right now. Peter Lovell, that's probably the guy to do that. And I think yep. that, to me, that to me, this is an all-in move by the Rangers to go win a cup now before you end up in salary cap hell with all these young stars that you're not going to be able to afford to pay in four or five years from now. I, and I would
0: not be surprised if they hoisted a cup in the next three years. Wouldn't be surprised. So I agree. I agree with the strategy. I agree with what you're what you're doing. What how you are analyzing the strategy by the Rangers. Which and is if you have a roster like so that, yeah. you can blame me for going yeah. out and
1: doing this. If I was I the owner agree. of the Rangers and I believe we could win a cup in three years, and Peter Laviolette I thought was the guy to do it, I would have done the same thing. All right. So go to Jasper's. Of course,
0: uh, linger. Take your time. Unlike Peter Laviolette and his coaching stints, but go go have some fun and and hang out. You got the game room over there. You got the air hockey table, the shuffleboard, all kinds of fun stuff. You got the grab and go market if you want to take some cheesecake home. That's what I do. Maybe not the best thing for my waistline, but damn, it's it's a big hit with the wife when I show up. <laughs> when I show up with with cheesecake, and she's like, oh, all right, here we go. Um, okay, so free agents, we'll get to what they who they could target, which I know is going to be a fairly short list for you. Um there <laughs> are some names to consider in-house, like first orders of operation here for Barry Trotz, David Poyle, as we get closer to the July 1st takeover of uh, just some numbers to re- just some buyouts this week can begin. So if there's any player on the team that they can buy out, that can start as early as Thursday of this week. Is there anybody that's a candidate in your mind?
1: Realistically? I- no, but if there is one and I had to pick, it would probably be Ryan Johansson. Yeah, but, but that's just a lot of money to eat. I-, I say you let him play this year and then maybe next year you consider it.
0: I-, I think that's fair. $2 million still on the books during the salary cap situation from Kyle Turris. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, The salary cap looks like it's going to be, what, 83 and a half for the Predators. Um, they're at about 67 after buyout money. So they've got about 15 and a half million dollars in cap space. There are a handful of guys that they are going to have to resign. It looks like Devin Cooley has already announced the, the goaltender there uh, that he is going to test the free agent waters and market. Not a particularly expensive piece or, or needed piece for this team. Uh, so he is going to leave. He's 26 years old. A couple of their RFAs are going to head to Europe, so those are uh, uh, Nermy and uh, Vamaka. Is that did I say that right? Um, Vamachka, Vamachka, that's right. They're going to Europe, so they're kind of not not to be worried about. Uh, you've got on defense. There are two main names we're going to get to here. I'm I'm building here, um, <laughs> Michael. Uh, Calfoot, uh, who had who made nine hundred fifty thousand last year. Jake Livingston, both twenty four years old. Their two names that are uh, from deep the, the defensive side of the ice that needs to be resigned. Rasmus Asplund, uh, Jimmy Huntington, John Leonard, and Isaac Ratcliffe, all guys 25 or under uh, who all need to be potentially resigned. If they want to, they're all restricted free agents, but the big two are Cody glass on offense and Alex Carrier on defense. Uh, those are the two big ones. Cody glass had a career year. Uh, he made $875,000 roughly last year. They have already announced that they are in talks, but they're going to keep it, of course, behind closed doors. Alex Carrier, uh, who's a little bit older than your average defenseman, missed 39 games last year, but also had a career the year before. Uh, they are also potentially in talks with him, but that the the agent is uh, basically saying, look, we're going to keep it quiet. Um, give, first of all, how important are these two pieces to the new Predators? Uh, my answer would be very and, and what are the ballpark numbers here for what these negotiations could, ter- could turn out to be for the Predators?
1: Yeah. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to Nick Kieser, uh for going and putting all this together. We have this all in a story on Nashville Hockey Now. Um, anybody out there that runs a company or a news outlet and you're looking for employers, I would hire someone like Nick, who is a go-getter, who does not wait for me to tell him what to do, and just comes back and says, hey, I already did this. He emailed or contacted a lot of these agents for these players to figure out what was going on, which was how we were able to get the, the scoop on Devin Cooley and Tomas from not returning um, next year. But yeah, uh, I, I think very important look, Rasmus Asplund, Calfoot, Jimmy Huntington, Leonard, Nurmi, Ratcliffe, all those guys, like they're, they're depth pieces in Milwaukee. They're, they're not probably not going to make the NHL roster. You could go out and I don't want to say they're diamond dozen because they are pretty good AHL players, but you can go out and find similar production from other AHL players. Cody Glass and Alex Carrier are by far the most important pieces here. And I do think Jake Livingstone plays, plays a role here too. I think he could be on the NHL roster probably as the seventh defenseman next year, or he might get a shot to compete with Jeremy Lozon and Dante Fabro. Um I'm explain Jake Livingstone a little bit here. So he's, he's it's a 10-2C restricted free agent. And basically what that means is he hasn't accrued enough time to be considered a group two RFA. So he can only negotiate with the team that holds his rights, which are the Predators, and he can't receive an offer sheet from any other team, and he can't go to arbitration. So basically, if he doesn't receive a qualifying offer from the Predators by 5 p.m. on June 25th, he becomes a restricted free agent. So up until June 25th, he can only negotiate with the Predators. And basically, it's, it's in Nashville's court. Do they want to bring him back or no? I would assume they would. They signed him at the end of the year after his college season ended. I, I assume he'll be back. Um, haven't heard anything to report there yet, but we'll keep you in the loop on that. But yes, Alex Carrier, Cody Glass, I think, are the two most important pieces here, especially given how well Cody Glass performed in a top, top six role at the end of the year. I think if you're looking at a contract for him, there's two contracts that the Predators recently signed in the last couple of years that I think are comparable. You look at the two-year $3.4 million deal Jakob Trennan got last year, that roughly is at $1.7 million per season. That, that came about through arbitration, and I'm looking at... The two-year, $4 million deal Rocco Grimaldi signed in 2020, the year after he went to arbitration with the Predators. I think Glass falls somewhere in there. He's probably a $1.7 to two, $2.1 million per year player. I think that's the sweet spot for him. I mean, he had 35 points. He had, what, 12 or 13 goals somewhere in there. Like He he showed promise and potential. I think you give him a one or two-year deal to kind of prove that that's what he is, and then you send him to a big contract after that. And if you're looking at Alex Carrier, well, hang I on. Think- let's,
0: let's 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 stay with Glass. Um, I I yeah. honestly I think two million AAV gets the job done. I think that 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 gets him signed. I am yeah. curious because this is where we're going to start to learn the differences between David Poyle and Barry Trotz. He's the type of player that at his age, he was 23 last season, going to be 24. That could like he's the type of player I feel like David Poyle, if he was convicted, would give him one of those like early deals. Colton Sissons, Cali Yarncroke, they, not Forsberg necessarily, but those sort of like $2 million per year for like t- for like five years. You know, a f- four-by-eight kind of deal.
1: And- I, I could see that, but if you're Glass and you, you feel confident that you can outperform that contract in a year or two, maybe it would be better to go the arbitration route or maybe you just do a one- or two-year bridge deal to get to that next contract.
0: Here's my question. Was he better this year? And a, a lot of times you know, arbitration, you have lawyers in there and agents in there that are doing it all. You know, you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear what the team is saying about you. And, you know, the team doesn't want to hear what the player is saying. That, that's why you have third parties negotiate these things. Just ask Rocco Grimaldi. Right. Like, I think his, I think there is a valid strategy to sign him longer term and give him a little more money. Because I don't think he's necessarily going to, like, as from an arbitration standpoint, did he have a better season than Yakov Trenin did? When he got 1.7 and 3.4 total, I don't think he necessarily.
1: Think, do you think he did? I think he did, but it wasn't like a noticeable difference. I think he was a little bit better. But you also got to look at two. Yakov Trennan was playing a third and a fourth line role. Cody Glass is playing a first and a second line role.
0: I, I, but not when you're the team arguing in in arbitration. You you, you say the worst. Well, thing. I get
1: that, but if you but if you're Cody Glass, that's what you're arguing. You're saying you're you're in a top six role, whereas Trennan was in a bottom six role last year, so you deserve more than the no bottom question. six there.
0: No no question. I think the team goes in and says, "No, you got to be the second line center because our center was hurt. Two okay. our top our top two centers were hurt, frankly. You're not a top line center. You're not a second line center. You're a third line center." And the and the player is saying, "But no, look, I I played well as a second line center top 6 player. That's where my money is." And I don't know where the arbitration, you know, we don't know where the arbiter would fall on that.
1: I Given think the it, struggles Cody Glass has had up until the last 25 games of last season, I worry about his confidence and what he's going to think of himself if he comes out of an arbitration meeting and the predators are arguing why they shouldn't pay him more. So if if I'm his agent, I recognize that and I tell him, let's get this done before it even gets to arbitration.
0: I completely agree because you don't want to hear that what that what's said about you in those meetings. And you have to if you hear your
1: team say you're absolutely not a top six player, we're not paying you like that's gonna rock your confidence, especially for a twenty-four-year-old that was crying when he got told he got he made it to Made it to the opening night in, roster. In, in, not in a bad way, a in, lay, in, but in he was way. so emotional. <laughs> he was so emotional that he finally got there. Not, I'm not knocking Cody Glass. I right, right. can't imagine being in that situation. But he he's very much emotion plays a very big role in how he plays on the ice. He he was uh,
0: he was emotional for for the right reasons, is what we're saying. Yeah, there, right? yeah. he made eight, he made 875 last year. I think if you give him two million a year for three years or four years, if again, if Barry Trots is convicted enough that he can still be the same player he was. In those moments where it looked like he continued to develop, still pretty young, great pedigree, top-flight draft pick, I, I I do not have a problem with a like a like a two by eight deal, two million for four years, eight million total, I, I two million per, I think that is a huge that's a huge that's more than a hundred percent raise for him again from eight seventy-five. Four-year
1: deal or more, I don't think two million gets it done. I think two point two five, two point three probably would. And okay, I know so, that, that kind of splitting hairs with just a couple hundred thousand dollars, but okay, so two two, two million for for four years compared to two point two five million for four years looks a lot better to Cody Glass.
0: So so how about this? It's a four year deal for nine million dollars. That's two and a quarter. I'm curious if Preds fans want to take the risk because your payoff could be huge. If he takes another big step, he might be undervalued for the last three
1: years of that deal. If- I absolutely would do that if I were the Predators and if I were Cody Glass because it could be it could be a, a Matthias Ekholm situation where you sign him to that deal, he goes out and overperforms, outperforms that deal for three or four years, and then maybe in the final year of that deal you sign him yeah. to a big money deal. After that, it works out for everybody.
0: The the other side of that w- equation would be that Trotz does not has not seen enough. To your point, we don't know officially what Cody Glass is yet, and that. We we don't want to be on the hook for three three more years and seven million more dollars. So we're going to do a two year four million dollar deal and call it a day and say for to everybody, let's see what happens over the next two years. And we're willing to take the risk and maybe have to pay you five million dollars because you you are the player that continues to develop. And then of course you're overpaying for years. You know from today, years from today, meaning. Two-year contract and then you're three, four, and five, you're overpaying again because you had to pay for the production. So, yeah, I, think, I think the result
1: of this will tell us what Barry Trotz thinks of Cody Glass. If it goes to arbitration, yeah. then he's probably not sold on him just yet. Yep. If it is a three or four-year deal, like the Matthias Ekholm special or the Kelly Arncrook special, then then you know it. I think that kind of shows Trotz believes in glass and thinks he can be a top player. I don't know if I, I
0: think you're exactly right. I think that's the exact right way to look at it. I think he's barely a top 100 free agent, honestly. Um, but he's more he's more important to the Preds than he probably is to many other teams. So I think that's why you maybe are I'm um, maybe willing to push the envelope. I I think four by four years, eight million. I think gets the deal done. I I think he would take a, an eight million dollar contract in two seconds. I I think that's my that's my general guess. Um, which of course brings us to I don't know if do who, who do you think's more important Alex Carrier or Cody Glass.
1: Um, Cody Glass.
0: I think I agree with you that Cody Glass is more important long-term to the development of the team. Because if he develops, he has a higher upside and could eventually be a bigger player on the team, a more important player. I think in the short term, you cannot leave, you cannot lose Matias Ekholm and lose Alex Carrier in the short term. I think in this year and next year, I think you need Alex Carrier. Now, I've also seen Alex Carrier ranked as a top forty free agent, so the market is going to tell you that this guy's a lot more valuable than than Cody Glass is. He's certainly a little bit older, um, at twenty six years old, but I, I think I've seen numbers up upwards of four million dollars a year, at three and a half. I just think the Preds have to have him in. The, I know he missed time, and his style sometimes can maybe lead to some injuries because he's a he's a, an aggressive skater who likes to go into the offensive rush. I just think that they need stable bodies on the blue line after getting rid of Ekholm and Tyson Berry's fine, whatever. Like I think he's a nice player, but uh, this is more of like a two year, $7 million deal, right? Like what's the ballpark for Carrier? and how important is it that they get this deal done?
1: Yeah, I think Carrier probably has more of a case, uh, can make a little bit stronger of a case of why he should be paid more. But if, if I'm, and this might be a little bit more conservative, if I'm, the predators I'm looking at probably Dante Fabro. The two and a half million they're paying him. They paid Jeremy Lozon two million a year. I think Carrier is better than both of them, but I would I would argue that he's probably the gap between Carrier and Fabro isn't that much. The gap between Carrier and Lozon, I would argue is is a considerable difference. So if you're paying Fabro two point five million, I think you got to pay Carrier at least that. And I but I wouldn't go above two point seven five million for Carrier per oh, year. Oh, I would.
0: I I would in two seconds. I think I think he's significantly better than Lozon, and that's a eight year that's an eight million dollar contract for for four years. I think you're looking at three by three for nine, maybe three for ten. I I, I would go three million ten 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 million dollars for three years. I would I think I would take that. That's three point three. Maybe three and a quarter. Maybe it's nine seven five. I don't know. I, I think you need to pay more than three million dollars, and I think you need to. I think you need to pony up for Alex Carrier. Maybe I'm biased. I like Alex Carrier a lot,
1: but that, that's a lot of money to to pay a guy who's only played roughly 120 games over the last two years. And you could argue some of the injuries aren't aren't his fault, but he only played 43 games this year. Granted, the 2021-22 season was really good. 30 points in 77 games. He was fantastic. Defensively in the postseason in the playoffs. But I just I three million a year is a lot to put to pay for. And we've seen with Victor Arvidsson, with Philip Forsberg, some other guys the injury history and stuff. And I'm not saying Alex Carey's injury prone, but given how he only played roughly half the season this year, I just don't I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving him three million dollars a year. Whether he's worth it or not, that's another story. If if he if he's a legitimate 30-point five goal, 30-point player every year. And he, I mean, that, that one year, his plus minus was plus 26. So, I mean, I feel like we right. say don't talk about plus minus unless it's a big number or a low number. I feel like that's a pretty good indication of how he was defensively. If the, if the 2021-22 season is how Alex Carey is this season and every season after that, then, yeah, he's absolutely worth it. But I feel like it's one of, another one of those things where he's kind of got to prove it. I, I, I feel like, and we talked about this a lot of last of the season. Is, is he better than Dante Fabro? Most of the times it looks like he is, but there's sometimes where Fabro looks better. I'm not. I'm not trying to pit those two against each other, but I feel like for the as long as they're both on the Predators, they're going to be compared to each other because they're very similar players.
0: I, I know he was an older rookie in 21, but it was one of the most productive rookie seasons in Predators history. Like we we all got caught up in Tanner Jano being as good as he was that year, but it was one of the most productive rookie seasons by any Predator. I, I think he is clearly better than Dante Fabro clearly better than jeremy lozon and, and on a team where you need good quality defensemen right now and there's not a ton of depth coming behind him i don't, I don't think you can afford not to have him uh, maybe i'm again maybe i'm overpaying for that exact reason there's there's risk involved if he's not on the team who's your starting six defensemen like i Yoshi mcdonough
1: barrier Fabro, lozon it, Oh, Barrier. I like that. Barrier. Barrier. <laughs> sorry. I was combining their two names.
0: I, I mean, I get it. You could, Part what of what you... makes
1: me nervous about that, too, is this will be the first season where Matthias Ekholm won't be around to... I don't want to use the term babysit, but Matthias Ekholm won't be around to cover up for a lot of the mistakes that Carrier has. Not that he makes 10 of them a game or anything like that, but this will be the first season where Carrier won't have an all, a fellow all-star defenseman unless they put him on the top pairing with Roman Yossi and they split Yossi McDonough up, but this should be the first year where he won't have a fellow all-star defenseman that will be his defensive partner. So whether he's paired with Barry, whether he's paired with Lozon or Fabro, this is going to be, we're gonna see this year what kind of defenseman Alex Carey is because he's not gonna have an all-star defenseman as as his defensive partner.
0: I know. I just don't, I just don't think they have the depth, the 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 talent in the farm system. They cannot afford to let him walk and to let him go, which they're not gonna do. But like the question Maybe is- I'm overvaluing
1: Jake Livingstone. I really like the guy. I, yeah. I know he's unproven. He he could pop off and he could be he could be the Alex Carrier this year. We don't we don't know. We also well, don't know if they're gonna keep Tyson Barry. They they might flip him for more draft capital. I mean, so if you flip Barry, then Alex Carrier definitely, if he wants three million, you pay it because you need to keep him around if Barry's no longer there.
0: I, I think three years, nine million is is good. Uh, if you get Two, uh, you know, uh, four, four years, eight million for Cody Glass. Three years, nine million for Carrier. I would take that. I think I would take that pretty quickly if I was the Predators.
1: Yeah, life. I mean, I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad deal. It's, I'm not saying that if you can get Carrier for cheaper than three million, you try. But if it, if it costs you three million, you suck it up and do it because I mean Zach Sanford, Anthony Angelo, Ruskov, all these other guys, they're all interchangeable. Your UFAs and your RFAs, Cody Glass and Alex Carrier are arguably the only two that you can say absolutely have to be back on this team. And and
0: Livingstone has, I agree with you, has some upside. So I think there's some intrigue there with him. Um, But that's, I mean, we're talking about somewhere in the ballpark of five, six-ish million dollars for all the guys that they're going to bring back, right? Most of that is going to be Glass and Carrier. Uh, That's still if leaves you me- have
1: 15 million in cap space. I mean, that, that leaves you with right. roughly 10 million. That that is one big trade. If if Barry Barry Trotz wants to pull it off, they have the room for it still. So.
0: Or you go sign a giant free agent. Um, and I want you to give me a li- like. You gonna go? You gonna gonna go sign uh, <laughs> Patrick Kane for for six million bucks? Like, I, wh- wh- who's who's a realistic target for them in this in this group? Are they gonna go get Jesper Bratt? Is that what's gonna happen?
1: I don't think anyone in this free agent group is, is really realistic. And I mean, look, the free agent class is very weak compared to most years, but you're looking at Patrick Kane, Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bertuzzi, Michael Bunning, Max Domi, Sean Monahan. Like Those are the big forwards. Based off of what Barry Trotz has said, I don't think they're going to sign anybody in free agency that is above the age of 27. I just can't see them paying out, dishing out big money for Patrick Kane or Tarasenko or even Ryan O'Reilly, like he's 32 and he's, he's a center. He's at a prime position they need, but he's over, he's over that 27 mark, which I feel like is where the cutoff would be out of all those guys I listed. Michael Bunning maybe makes the most sense because he's, I think he's 27 exactly. And he's got a little bit of a scoring upside, but, but none of those guys realistically make sense. Tyler Bertuzzi might be another one, but he's 28. I just don't, I don't see the predators making big plays in free agency. And Barry Trotz, he point blank said this when we talked to him last time. The quote that I that I have in my story that'll be up on National Hockey Now in a little bit, he said, I don't think we'll be big players in free agency. I think the free agent list this year is a little bit lean, uh, but I want to handpick some guys that will fit our culture. So that tells me he's yeah. looking for a specific type of player. And because the Predators are trying to go younger, I just don't see anyone that fits that 24 to 27 age range that could be a difference maker. So I just, I really don't see them. Other than some depth pieces from Milwaukee, I don't see them sign anybody in free agency.
0: Well, and I think, so Bertuzzi I've seen projected at around six and a half-ish million dollars. Um, You mentioned O'Reilly, five, five. I've seen him under six. I've seen Michael Bunting under six. There's some big name guys, right? Pasternak, Larkin, Brat, Dubois. Pacioretty. um, Pacioretty. Barbashev. uh, Yeah, Debrinkat. You got Meyer as well. These are guys that are like seven million plus.
1: Van Riemsdyk, Zucker.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, is there some, some of those guys are young though. I mean, like, again, I joked about Jes- Jesper Bratt and Dubois, but they're 24.
1: Uh, if they, if they go with anyone, I see it being someone like Evan Rodriguez. He's 29, but he plays center. His cap hit, I believe this year was 2 million. You can probably get him for around that maybe two and a half million. I, I could see them maybe going with someone like that. That's maybe a bottom six player, but I think Barry Trotz on the hunt for a top six scoring forward he's basically said as much without directly coming out and saying that. And I, I have this feeling just because this is what he's been alluding to. He's going to turn to the trademark and define that. Uh,
0: So, okay. So that's, you're talking like, go get one of the Toronto Maple Leafs is what you're saying.
1: Well, maybe not, maybe not swing for the fences that big, but maybe, maybe someone like Clayton Keller, Alex DeBrinket has been linked to this team over the last week or so. Um, obviously if, if you go for the Maple Leafs route and William Nylander makes a lot of sense, but it's going to cost you a lot. Um, Maybe Brock Besser, Martin Nietzsche. like there's there's some scorers out there that are still relatively young and they're they're early to mid 20s that I think fit what Barry Trotz is looking for. But I, I mean, unless he's just flat out lying to everyone's faces, I don't think that there's <laughs> anyone in free agency that he's really eyeing. That's he's saying yes, we need to go get this person.
0: Yeah, I there. I mean, again, there are some guys out there um, that had you know 60 plus goal, 60 plus point seasons this year. That are under the age of twenty seven that are going to be available in free agency. I don't like this class in general, but it's a is terrible a ch- class. Yeah, to- of course. But is there is there a chance that one guy Barry Trotz, happens to like one particular player? And I'm not going to I'm not the free agent expert here to tell you that I love the way X Y Z particular player fits in. I think Besser plays a game that would fit in with very very much with Barry Trots. Um, just knowing a, a little bit about him. So I, I, again, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've watched you know, hours of film on Timo Meyer. So <laughs>
1: I have, yeah. And I think it all comes down to, too, is Barry Trotz is probably going to go out and acquire players that he and Andrew Burnett have talked about that fit Andrew Burnett system. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, look, we picked on Cole Smith a lot. You have Michael McCarron out there as well. He for sure would. You have other similar guys like the Zach Sanford, all, all guys that were more defensive minded than they were offensive minded. Mark Jankowski, you can even throw him in there. It, it, Max Domi, he's 28. He had twenty goals and fifty-five points between Chicago and Dallas this year. If they're going more offensive-minded, I think Max Domi is a bottom-six player, and they could get him for three, four million a year. Would they rather have that in their bottom six over Cole Smith or Michael McCarron? I think it just depends on what Trots and Brunette are looking for.
0: I like if, like Pierre Luc Dubois at at his size and power and sort of uh, scoring ability. Like, do I think he made six million dollars last year? Do I think that that is an asset for this team potentially? But I don't know if any of these guys work because they're going to want long-term deals. They're going to want five-year deals, six-year deals, and and what's the one thing we're we're terrified of with past decisions by David Poyle? It's the length of the contract for Kyle Turris. It's the length of the contract for Johansson and for Forsberg and for Yossi and for Duchesne. It's the length of the deal. And if a guy like Luke Dubois wants to do like a three-year, twenty-four million dollar deal, sure, maybe I think you look at it. But you know, at eight per. That eats up almost all the rest of your salary cap, but you're getting a guaranteed top six forward and you're taking them away from a division rival. I could see that being a value play, but that guy's gonna, but he's gonna want six years and $48 million. And I just don't know if you can do one of those kind of
1: deals. I think someone who's interesting, and we had a a, a listener propose this question in, in the mailbag. Uh Clayton Keller, 24 right wing for the coyotes. He just came off a 37 goal, 86 point season, 28 goals, 60 points the year before that. He's already signed long-term, 7.15 million. It's it's a pretty high cap hit. It's not 8 million, but he's under team control through 27-28. You have a 24-year-old proven goal scorer at, at a roughly reasonable cap hit over, over the next five years. If, it, and he's even said like his agents have met with the Coyotes because they're concerned about the, the, all the stuff going on with uh, the arena yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a target. That's someone that to me that makes sense. Okay. All
0: right. I can get behind that. I like that. I mean, that's that's upside right there for sure. Yeah. And, and, and sort of you, a known commodity of what the cost is going to be over a period of time. I think the bottom line is that you and I both kind of agree with what Barry Trotz has alluded to, which is that we're not going to be big players for big spending on a big free agent. And I think we all kind of agree that that's probably the right yeah. strategy. I, save your cap space. Sign your good young players. And continue to develop the pipeline the draft etc etc i still think you, you you don't need to be done rebuilding yet you can still do more rebuilding and that does not include spending on a you know seven year 50 million dollar contract for some guy like that's not rebuilding that yeah. is that is going for it so uh we shall see otherwise go for it at jaspers man go check it out go go hang out in there spend some time free parking everything uh national hockey now of course as well uh, is the website. You can catch all of my work there at Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall as well. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, and share the product. We do appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Gold Standard right here on the 440 Sports Network.